this week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Damien Allspark. He got the touch. Allmark. I'm sorry, Allmark. I was gonna, ah, oh, Transformers joke. It was, it was gonna be awesome. Everybody was gonna laugh. And then, you know, and anyway, this one goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Right over here, the cake is a lie. The 12 is back in 2012. Marvel's many vile villains, they be ill and invincible is invisible and other stuff that rhymes or is rhythmically pleasing because honestly, after 350 of these things, I'm lucky the open even has words in it. Over, across, up the thing, no. Moop, flooby, glarby, floop. Backwards words say to used I. Again, go I there. I have one piece of advice for all you young people. Always... Never forget to check your references. The Major Spoilers Podcast is, at the very least, air-adjacent, so it might behoove one to duck. Hey everyone, welcome to this issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad to be here, so glad to be alive. It seems like a really long week since last time. Yeah, it's been a couple of, a couple of weeks since we did a show. Rodrigo was out shooting uh, some kind of sport activity. Corn or pigs or... Pigs and corn. And corn pigs. I was that's, that's, uh, that's their mascot. <laughs> deathly, deathly sick. Still am sick. Got sick yeah. again today. That's what happens when you have yeah. a six month old. All they do is if slobber on you sicker. and sneeze on you and puke on you. And we then just like the zombies, you yeah. become infected too. And it would be like the end of the Wicker Man, where we just throw you in and light it on fire, and Nicolas Cage in a bear suit would start punching out everybody's mom. And so it was probably a good idea that Rodrigo stays in Russell tonight mm-hmm. Russell? as the pending zombie apocalypse approaches. Bill Cosby's little brother. Yes. Got a lot of things to cover in this episode. We put all the jello on the kitchen floor so that no one. There are a in. number of stories over at the Major Spoilers website, including <laughs> these The Ugly Dolls, those cute little stuffed toys are headed to Toys R Us. The 12 return in 2012. Marvel takes almost everything, digital day and date. The new James Bond movie finally gets a name, and it comes out next year. And Universal Pictures announces an untitled werewolf movie. That's what it's called. <laughs> untitled werewolf movie. Let us uh, you know spin that it. wheel of destiny and find out it where it goes. Award. Round and round and round it goes, and there it lands oh. on... The 12 returning in 2012. Nice. Very, very popular series from uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Chris Weston. Uh, came out a couple of years ago. At least it started. And it started it, uh, in 07. In 07? Holy crap. Almost five years now. So the 12 is about a bunch of uh, golden age heroes that get bumped up into modern age or something. Matthew, what is, what is the 12 about? Basically... Uh, in Berlin, World War II, 12 superheroes are, I, I guess, kind of conscripted into the war effort. They end up in Berlin, and they fall into this strange pit and are suspended in, in time. 
basically they're putting in cryonic suspension for 60 odd years. They wake up and then they have to deal with the fact that a they're golden age Marvel heroes. So they're all laughable and or ridiculous. Now these are real, these are real golden age Marvel heroes, right? Yep. There's the blue blade. Who's ridiculous. Uh, The black widow, not Natalia Romanov, but uh, a woman whose name is, I swear to God, clairvoyant. Captain Wonder, who is ridiculous. Dynamic Man, who's slightly less ridiculous. Electro, the human robot, who is actually my favorite of the group. The Fiery Mask. The Laughing Mask. Uh, no relation. Mastermind Excello. Mr. E, the Phantom Reporter, the Rock Man. Uh, I saw the Rock Man, kind of broke, but happy. And The Witness, who I believe is giving testimony right now. But then they all wake up in the in the year 2000 and let's say seven and have to deal with the fact that they've lost 70 years. It's it's kind of like uh, Captain America in 1963 times 12. Well, I was going to say it's very much like that uh, that series from Dynamite Entertainment. Project Superpowers? Project Superpowers. I do. Where they were all, you know, they all get wrapped up in in World War II Golden Age shenanigans, and then they all get frozen in time, although they all get sucked into an urn. And then 70 some odd years later, the urn is broken or whatever. People come out of Zeus's head and they have to cope with being in modern times. Project Superpowers came out late. I want to say the next year, actually. The difference is for me, um, in the 12, it's Marvel dealing with characters that Marvel's predecessor, Atlas Comics, actually printed, whereas Project mm. Superpowers takes uh, public domain heroes from about five different companies right. and slaps them all together. Yeah, so, Project Superpowers really, came out in 2008. The only differences I think the 12 has, and this is going to be ridiculous for a cast of 12, it has a closer, you know, a, a closer focus, and I feel like maybe this is probably mean to say slightly deeper characterization. Why does that mean to say? Because it implies that uh, Project Superpowers doesn't have deep characterization. Ah, okay. Well, so here's the deal, Rodrigo. This book ah. came out in, first came out in 2007, got up to like issue six. Seven. Got up to issue seven. And then it disappeared. <gasps> Not to be heard from again until Tom Brevoort, senior VP executive editor over at Marvel, said... We appreciate everyone's patience and both hope and expect that the conclusion will live up to the wait. And for folks who missed out the first time, we're making it easy to get back on board the previous eight issues. So we're putting out a trade paperback of the first six issues and a Marvel must have of issue seven and eight. So basically a mini trade. So you have no excuse to get caught up. No excuse to get caught up or no excuse not to get caught up and to not get caught up. What do you think All of that, right. I think that it sounds interesting. And if I were to come across the 12 uh, trade, definitely a trade paperback, I, I might pick it up as long as I didn't get it confused with uh, what's the what are the Chinese superheroes from D.C.? The Great Ten. The Great Ten. Yeah, I get those. I get those two confused <laughs> now. One would think now Matthew was like, "Ooh, I want to talk about the 12. This is this is this is exciting. I'm looking forward to the 12. You would think, Matthew, that a lot of people would be super excited about this announcement. But instead, we have uh, comments like this one from Gibraltar, who says, 
I feel that after all this time, there's no explanation for this delay. I mean, what's it been, two years? Marvel owes all of us readers that put their faith and money into this series a huge apology. That would go a long way towards that, towards the two ninety nine price tag on the remaining issues. But knowing Marvel, the price is going to be three ninety nine. It's actually almost, well, yeah, almost three years now. And to some degree, I think the real question is not what's with the delay. You know, why, why was there this enormous delay? I think the real question is going to be, does it make a difference? Because Marvel has long been of the opinion that we're going we're gonna to put out what we consider to be good books and we don't care what the schedule is. Uh, that's Tom Brevoort, by the way. He sounds remarkably like Torque. But I, I, I think to some degree you have to ask yourself. I'm coming back simply because, well, A, I hate, hate, hate unfinished stories. I mean, if they, if they don't finish Miracle Man in my lifetime, I'm actually going to go and write the thing. And from the, the second point, I don't necessarily hold people responsible for long breaks in production because it was nearly six months between Saturn girl and cosmic boy. You know, I understand that things happen and you get off on other tangents. So, well, and I mean, so does, does Marvel owe readers an apology do they need to come forward and say, Hey, we're sorry. It took us so long to publish this book. I mean, it's not really Marvel's fault. It could be Straczynski's fault. It could be, it could be Weston's fault. Weston's fault. It could be Brevoort's fault. No, Marvel does not owe us an apology. Marvel owes us nothing more than a comic book that they believe to be quality. If we, if, honestly, if we as readers are morally outraged at this 36 month break, we should not buy the rest of the series. Yeah. We should teach Marvel a lesson by saying F you and your continuity. And we don't want to read the last issues of the 12th. I mean, that's vote with your wallet. Rodrigo. Marvel is under no obligation, and honestly, I think it would be a half-hearted apology even if we got one. Well, it'd be a half-assed apology, I'm sure. <laughs> Rodrigo, um, our comics, should comics be published monthly on schedule and regularly? Somebody, uh, Taz, says if a publisher promotes a 12-issue monthly series, then they should deliver a 12-issue monthly series, to which I responded, well, they never said they'd be 12 consecutive months. It's true. Yeah, I, I, but yeah, but that's semantics. If uh, if <laughs> yes, if a publisher says we are going, this is going to be a twelve issue monthly series, then yes, they should. The first one, if the first one comes out in January, then the next one should come out of February of that year. Then March, then April, then whatever month comes after April, then June. Uh, so near place. Yes. But what if it's just solicited as a seven issue series or a ten issue series? Or twelve issues. If they don't, if they don't give a, if they don't specifically say this issue is going to come out monthly or biweekly or triweekly or whatever, then all, then they don't owe the public anything in particular. Really, they're just shooting themselves in the foot by not maintaining a tight schedule, right? Because presumably there are people who were picking up the twelve that may not e- ever even hear that the 12 are coming back because they don't have their ear to the ground anymore. They got tired of waiting. Yeah. And, you know, later on, they might see the trade paperback and they're like, huh, I guess they finished that at some point. Right. Maybe I'm not interested anymore. Well, you know, Kick-Ass is, is in the same problem uh, where, you know, they tried to have that first series come out monthly and then it got delayed because of, 
I don't know if it was Miller's problem or whoever was doing the art on that series, but it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then three months later, they'd come out with a new issue, but then they'd bundle it with a previous issue into these uh, little mini trades or whatever, you, whatever they're calling them, the Marvel must haves, the must haves, yeah. um, which to me just sounds like another trying to dip into the uh, wallets oh. of readers uh, to do Marvel's that. been doing must haves for probably 10, 12 years. Now. Yeah. They, they, they do it. They did it with the amazing Spider-Man issue uh, after September 11th, rather than put out a second printing, they put out a $5 book that reprinted two issues of amazing Spider-Man, including the one that people wanted. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a way to get a little more cash, but it's also a way I think to not undermine the secondary market in terms of back issues, which mm -hmm is creepy and ingenious i totally agree with you though rodrigo if a company it, it does nothing to help the title or the property or the artist or the writer if something doesn't come out on a regular schedule whether that be a bi-monthly or bi-weekly or whatever that it might be yeah. um you know pretty soon people forget that that title's out there i yeah. disagree completely really i think that yeah and i'll tell you why the some of the most successful titles that we have reviewed and loved on this program, we forget retroactively were late. Watchmen was 18 months for 12 issues. Batman the Dark Knight Returns issue four was considerably late. All of the books, well, not all of the books, but I think a majority of the books that we look back at and say, these were great, you know, these were watershed issues they were these were game changers i think probably most of those in the last 20 25 years have had some sort of scheduling difficulties new team titans which saved dc from uh, bankruptcy had scheduling issues marvel used to do something called the dreaded deadline doom and this annoyed me greatly because i used to collect ghost rider volume one the johnny blaze issues issue 10 of ghost rider was supposed to be ghost rider fighting the incredible hulk they didn't get it done on time so marvel printed issue 10 of ghost rider as a reprint with the cover of the solicited book and they said sorry deadline doom here's a reprint and well, that's a little bit different. 11. I mean, that's a little bit different. I mean, I can understand scheduling that's, delays. That's exactly what you're saying, though. You'd no. rather have a no, 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 no. I didn't say that. No, 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 no. I said, said it, that. No, I said it hurts a book and a publisher and the interest level when people don't release things on a regular schedule. So when but you I turn into something that is when you, you know, whether it's going to be six months, if you want six months between books, that's fine. But... And I understand that there are delays, but if you've got three months between issues one and issues two, there is a better than likely chance that people are going to forget that that book exists or remember three months later that, oh, there's that issue number two that I've been waiting for. That's the and, problem and, that happens. I'm not saying that and, it, delays don't happen. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to pick stop buying a book because it's not shipping on a regular schedule. I say it hurts everybody involved. I would, and I would argue that Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, New Teen Titans, all those books that we have reviewed that were, you know, The Crow, that were good, that were important at the, at the time to the industry and were late are important and interesting and good despite the fact that they were late. Right. You know, their own merit saved them mm -hmm. from, uh, you know, the, the, 
being forgotten in time because they were good, because they were solid storytelling, and because there were dedicated readers who were willing to wait. There were probably plenty of people who dropped Watchmen, and then later on they might have said, oh, stupid is me, I dropped Watchmen. But even then, you know, they were, you know, that probably hurt the book's sales. You know, they would have sold more comics if it had been on time. Now, can you rush Genius? Probably not. That's what I hear. I've never met one. But, you know, so so there are specific moments in which that is the case. Now, you tell me, do you feel that at some point in history, people are going to look back at the 12 and say, boy, howdy, this changed the game? Doubt it. Yeah. It's fun, but yeah, and that's it's, it's basically a Philip on a well, Philip. And the other question, too, is, and, and I don't know because I don't have the uh, data in front of me. Do we know that it was just that it was the artist or the writer's fault or or Marvel's fault? Maybe the initial issue Marvel, just to didn't my knowledge, sell. has not Marvel to my knowledge has not discussed the reasons why. Yeah. In 09, Quesada came out and said it was on indefinite hiatus. That was right about the time that J. Mike left Marvel over yeah, the, the, Thor uh, the one more day flap. Yeah. Where all of a sudden the story that he wrote wasn't the story that they wanted. And the last issue of One More Day came out and he refused to take credit for the story that he was being credited for. So, Well, I'm just wondering if maybe sales were low and they just said, you know what, we're just going to put this on an indefinite now, hiatus until do not there's enough that people that case. come back. I believe I really that, would be, that. that would be unfounded speculation on our part. It Maybe. But it's certainly one of the options on the uh, as a reason. It might be unfounded speculation, but I'm going to go on a limb and say it's absolutely true. No, it could be t- could be totally false, but it's, we have seen sales. But I, I, where I mean, where is that coming from? What what are we are we just going with our gut here? No, I'm just saying I don't know why it was put on indefinite hiatus. Low sales could have been one of those reasons. Did it have? Do we know the sales? I don't know. That's what I'm trying uh, to look up right it? now. We don't yeah. know. What, we don't know what the sales necessarily are. I yeah, would I actually mean, low I selling books get, you know, will continue for months after they're dead in the water, and good, you know, like books that do reasonably well will get canceled because of other reasons. I'm sure that low sales, at least if if they had low sales, those would have at least uh, indirectly heard the book mm-hmm. in so far as Marvel might have said, well, let's say that this is, or, or, you know, let's say that this is the writer's issue, right? If the book was selling well, they would have been like, Hey, writer, man, you want to write some more for us? Uh, we're going to threaten your family if you don't. And then, you know, <laughs> basically put pressure on the creative team to get the book out. If the sales were low, they might've been like, man, eh, whatever, we'll wait. Quesada has gone on record as saying that part of the delay was Trasinski's uh, screenwriting gigs. Part of the delay was Weston doing storyboarding for a movie project. Um, that's actually sourced to the entire webs. Uh, Marvel.com, January 13th, 2009. So There you go. I, I would say that in either case, I'd be interested to see how this book ends. And I will, I will make a prediction, a solid prediction, and this will happen. 
and it will probably happen on Majorspoilers.com, someone is going to go in and say, this is crap. They must have rewritten it and changed the ending because this is not where the first eight issues made me think that it was going. This will happen. Mm -hmm. I'll guarantee it. And also someone will because come it'll in be and Matthew say, that goes in and who is this? Someone other than Matthew will say, <laughs> and they will also go, who are these people? I never heard any of these people. That's what will happen on the interwebs. Well, it sounds like Matthew needs to get cracking and do a hero history on the 12. Yeah, that'll take all of uh, five minutes. Most of these people <laughs> appeared twice in the golden age. I will say this about the 12. They, they had guts. Because they went mostly with the original character designs. There were some changes, but what that means is you have Captain Wonder, who's basically kind of a Superman knockoff, running around in short pants. And the Blue Blade basically just wearing shorts and a hat. And the Phantom Detective and the Witness literally have the exact same costume. It's a black business suit with a fedora and a red cape. So going through these issues and, and... not shying away from the fact that these characters kind of looked ridiculous and some of them had particularly ridiculous origins. I mean, I, I rather, you got to give them credit for that. So do they, and they, and within the, the context of the book, they address that, right? People are yes. like, Oh, look at your crazy, ridiculous costumes. Do you yeah. think that the, the current uh, run on, of Aquaman has, yeah. has any uh, inspiration from that? Isn't that kind of what they're going for with Aquaman now? Well, they definitely did a riff on that in issue one where they're like, hey, do you need a glass of water? No. Right. I I think what they're doing is they're basically, with Aquaman, and to a lesser degree, the 12, addressing the inherent ridiculousness of some of these concepts as a way of just kind of, you know, lampshading it and going, you know what? Just roll with it. If you can't deal with Captain Wonder looking like, you know, wearing the same costume as Bucky for all intents and purposes, this is not the book for you. Please move along. I'm sure there's a Wolverine number one. So in October of 2008, uh, the number one selling comic was Secret Invasion number seven. Sold 154,000 copies. Really? uh, Putting it in the first place. 154,000 copies. The 12 number eight, which came out in October of 2008, uh, almost made the top 100. It was in 105th place. And it sold just under 26,000 copies. So that's not a, you know, that's not a low selling issue considering when you look down in the bottom, oh, you know, the bottom five, those, those sell less than 5,000. In fact, if you look in the bottom 30, those typically sell less than, than 5,000. Was Blue Beetle still being published in uh, the winter? Oh, let's see. Blue Beetle number 32 was number 175, sold 11,000 issues. And Blue Beetle 32 was either the last issue or yeah. damn near the last issue. Yeah. So that will give us kind of a, yeah. So it sold like five times as much as Blue Beetle, which was canceled right in that time frame. So uh, two times, almost two no. times, a little over two times. I was, for so, I was doing the math in my head and thinking, well, this one's number 175 and this one's 100. Oh, oh I, I see. That's, I see. that's five times as many. Oh, books. okay. I see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Marvel would love for you to work in their uh, promotions department, Matthew, hyping up the uh, the marketing numbers. They totally would. They totally would, because I'd be out there going, "The Rockman is awesome, dude! You need to buy Rockman." (laughs) All right, everybody, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can share your thoughts on the return of the Twelve. They're coming back in what is it, January? January, yeah. Which could mean February. February. Which could mean February. 
Or well, March. according to Chris Weston, Chris Weston has treated 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 weeded has has shredded shredded weeded that he has completed all of the art. Mm, okay. So in theory, at this point, all that's left to do is the the post production type slappy slappy. Nine and ten issues nine and ten arrive in February of two thousand twelve. March we'll see issue eleven and twelve uh, comes out in April. So there we go. There you go. All right. So also, we will be able to read it before the end of the world. Well, maybe. Um, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and find a lot more stories, uh, including that uh, fascinating story on the Ugly Dolls getting a wider release at Toys R Us. Uh, you can also check out the Major Spoilers Costume Contest winner. There's a, we didn't get to talk about that last week. Deadpool coming out on top. Clark Congratulations. Carruth. Yes. Clark uh, was the winner with that Deadpool contest. There were over, what do we have? Over 3,500 people voting. And he was the winner. It was pretty close up until about the last day. Then he took about a 5% lead on uh, on the second place person. Clark gets an that, iPad too. You guys yeah. see that crazy, like, like dead sprint for Lady Blackhawk? Yeah, like she had been like third or fourth the whole time, and one day I looked over and she was first, and oh, she was close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. but Deadpool edged her out, man. And you can head over to majorspoilers.com/store, and we've got critical hit T-shirts for everybody who's been asking for them. <gasps> Better get it now before the uh, the weirdness kicks in. <laughs> the first, the first uh, batch of critical hit T-shirts. Starts mailing this weekend, I think. Ooh. Hopefully, if they've got them printed on time. All right, everybody, stick around. When we come back, we will be talking about some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, Donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 20-06. Once again, thank you to everybody, to everyone who contributes to the Major Spoilers cause. People who uh, donate those $10 or more get the shout out at the top of the show, but we certainly appreciate people who are donating $2 a month, $5 a month recurring. All that little bit helps us, helps us buy prizes like the iPad that we gave away. Somebody's going to be reading digital comics, Matthew, by the end of the year on his brand new iPad. I think I think that he should uh, incorporate that iPad into his costume. You know, he had those <laughs> he like, text box, as, uh, like that Deadpool yeah. text boxes. Yeah. yeah, he can like put in ones on there, and he can like cycle through them and hold them over his this, head. Does this have Siri on it? Because he could like say, "Hey no. Siri, print me some cool Deadpool." Si- Siri stuff. only Siri would be like, "I do not know what you were talking about." Dave. Siri is only on the iPhone. <clears throat> the iPhone well, 4s. Yes, yes, it is. Although I don't really miss it because it doesn't work half the time. How many how many phone calls a week do you get on Siri, Matthew? Well, I don't take phone calls. Oh, okay. I yell at people for not taking enough. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah, he could uh, incorporate an iPad into uh into a uh, uh what's his Doctor Zola or whatever the the camera guy. 
Oh, oh yeah, that's Zola a good, good idea. Yeah, put a box over your head and an iPad on your chest with your face. That would be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to yeah, it, people. Now we're talking. Speaking now of getting to things, reviews. let's get to some reviews. <laughs> Matthew, let's talk about villains. All right. Marvel has this Bye. big thing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really. Con- well, I'm not convinced about anything Marvel does. But they have this big series of point one issues that are coming out, which I thought are probably great jumping on points. And for villains for hire, it's number point one of five. <laughs> which makes me wonder if this is point <laughs> one, be point and the next one, issue is point one, two, point three. It's going to be point one of six, yeah. technically, but it doesn't make sense. I, Honestly, the point one thing to me is a throwback to the days of zeros and negative one mm-hmm. issues. And a half issues. And half issues. It, it It is what it is. And you look at it and you say, meh. But I will say this. The vast majority of the point one issues that I've read from Marvel probably do function as great jumping on points for a new reader. When I say read... I say that because I have yet to purchase a point one issue from Marvel because quite frankly, I don't feel the need to buy something that's purely exposition. However, this week I did run into a copy of villains for hire 0.1 and Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, uh, the guys who did guardians of the galaxy, the guys who did Nova, the guys who did your Legion lost that you love. So very, very, very much. So. Yep. They also did Jonah Hex. They and I think, they're doing, I think they're doing All-Star... No, 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 no. Abnett I'm thinking of somebody else. No, 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 I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah, I'm thinking think of Paul Miotti and Gray. Uh, Paul Miotti and Gray. Yeah. Abnett and Lanning uh, were the guys who used to write Zoids for Marvel UK or some such. Uh, Villains for Hire number one spins out of the recently completed Heroes for Hire volume 19, I think it was, where Misty Knight, the former lady friend of Iron Fist, gathered various heroes to do various things in various configurations. This issue, if you look at the cover, is a really beautiful front cover of Misty standing with the Speed Demon and Tiger Shark and Crossfire and Deadly Nightshade and Oddball, or I forget her name. She's a juggler and she blows things up. And something that's very clearly in the background, Stiltman. Okay? With the exception of Misty and Stiltman, none of those characters appear in this book. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? However, it is literally a gorgeous, gorgeous cover. Doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in the issue. We see Misty doing her gig, and it starts with the standard, Hello, hero, are you for hire? And it's a close-up of her mouth that makes me think of uh, Lynn Thigpen from The Warriors, the movie in 1979 where she's, you know, the DJ trying to get the gangs to kill Swan and the Coney Island Warriors as they try to cross New York after the murder of Cyrus. Skip it. Um, <laughs> Silver Sable is in action and then the Black Panther is in action I didn't realize the Black Panther was still in New York and that he apparently gave up his kingdom he was like Daredevil the for Bla- a while uh, he was Sue Daredevil yeah. yeah Silver Sable and the Black Panther are all running and running and running like constipated wiener dogs and having some fighty fighty tracking down what is a theft by Stiltman only it's not Stiltman. And here is one thing that I love about this issue. The new Stiltman is a woman. Do you remember the issue of Spider-Man uh, several months ago where they introduced Lady Stiltman? 
Nope. I can tell by your face now. Lady Stiltman was kind of a joke character. In this issue, she's decided that she's going to go by Stiltman. She says it's a good name, there's prestige and a solid reputation attached to being Stiltman. And the Black Panther is like, but you're a woman. (laughs) I love that moment. She's like, it's the 21st century. I can be Stiltman if I want to be Stiltman. (laughs) And then the Black Panther beats the bejesus out of her. (laughs) But basically, this is some action, action, action. It sets up a little bit of kind of, you know, intrigue. What's going on? Paladin is in it. The son of Satan is in it. Damon Hellstrom. Which right there, hey, that's worth the cost of admission. I mean, he's even got his old uh, trident back. He does not have the cool cape and the spiky boots that make him, you know, look kind of like the lost member of the village people. But at the very least, he's in the issue. And the issue ends with Paladin having taken down a bad guy and the Black Panther having taken down a bad guy. And the Purple Man deciding that since he tried to make the heroes for hire into something he could manipulate, it's time to do his own thing. I'll tell them villains for hire is waiting for a call. Dun, dun, dun. And we got a title. The main thing that I find wonderful about this book is the characterization. The art is a close second. Uh, Renato Arlem does the interiors, does really good work. Everyone in this issue is an established marvel bit player from somewhere there's a split second of avalanche from the old brotherhood the shocker uh the death stalker there's a character called headhunter who hasn't appeared since john byrne wrote her in namor like 20 odd years ago if you're the kind of person who likes to see those things put together where it's like hey this character's from 1974 and this one's from 1995 and that's the black panther and now they all they're all friends this is probably a good book for you If you need Spider-Man to justify your heroes for hire, probably not the book for you. I was kind of surprised by this issue. Two and a half slices of meatloaf for villains for hire, 0.1. In spite of the 0.1-iness of it, it it gave me something that I want to read. It set up the story. It transitioned from the old heroes for hire book. And I didn't expect to be picking up this miniseries before I read this issue. But now I think I'm going to be picking up the whole mini. Cool. Hopefully it doesn't uh, go in 0.1 increments to get all the way up to uh, number cool five. Though. 0.1, and then 1.2, and then 2.3, and then we're cha Yeah. Mm. We had a 4.4 earthquake, you know. Uh, actually, that was in uh, Oklahoma, but we felt it all the way over here. Uh, was, near Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, I was sitting in the chair and all of a sudden the chair was kind of wobbling. And I was like, huh, I must be moving something. Then I noticed the microphone was shaking and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not doing anything. And then that was it. Are you it sure you didn't just have the, the giant El Santo with the extra chili? Nope, 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 nope. Because that makes your chair move too, Steve. Nope, 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 nope. So. Yeah, there weren't the prerequisite like dead birds. Did you, did you feel <laughs> it? Uh, did you feel it, Matthew? A little bit. I didn't realize that I felt it till afterwards. I was actually driving. Oh, okay. At the point that it happened, so I was just like, "What?" Well, you know, and then I moved on. What about you, Rodrigo? I I didn't. Um, I although you know, who knows if it did happen while I was driving? Probably then didn't feel it. It was likely, a real kind of gentle wobble. Yeah. Then then I wouldn't have felt it. 
or, you know, one of the giant 80 mile an hour gusts that try to shoot me into the shoulder uh, might have taken the place of it. You do have a teeny tiny car. I remember the uh, earthquake we had when I was in college yeah. uh, back in from 90 something or other. That one was actually noticeable as I was walking up the steps to the recently demolished Agnew Hall. I was just like, what the hell is that? It was very strange. Yep. All right. Back to some reviews. Reviews. Invincible number 84 came out this last week does, from Robert Kirkman. And does Ryan he border Otley. on the Adriatic? Yes, he does. I awesome. love Ryan Otley's work. It's always great. And when it gets to the punchy and to the fighty and to the explodey bits, uh, things get really, really detailed. And Otley goes to the extreme when there is violence in an issue. Fortunately, there's not much violence in this issue. Um, what does happen is the aftermath of the destruction of Las Vegas, where dinosaurs had told uh, Mark, he had said uh, while they were fighting that uh, the government would find some way of turning the destruction of Las Vegas into a positive, that they would be able to power millions of homes. And in fact, um, this issue opens with Mark at the former site of Las Vegas as they're installing double-sided solar panels all over the site uh, to power most of the nation. And Mark has this, and I, and I skipped a couple of issues, so I don't know what's happening specifically with the Dinosaurus arc. Um, but uh, apparently he has told Mark that uh, greater good can come out of the death of people. And Mark sees this in the Las Vegas incident. And he goes home and talks to his uh, girlfriend. I don't know what they are. I guess they're still girlfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend. They're living together. They're not married. Um, but he has a conversation with her saying, hey, if I did something crazy, even though it may seem crazy now, would it be okay to do it, even if it meant for the greater good? And Eve doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. And she goes, sure. And he goes like, okay. And so he flies to where the Pentagon uh, is holding Dinosaurus, frees the, uh, the monster, and the two have decided that they're going to save the world without killing anybody. They're going to put into motion all of Dinosaurus's plans, uh, but as long as Mark uh, ensures that nobody dies, that they could save the world. But of course, now everybody thinks Mark is a villain. He's a turncoat. He has done everything that Omni-Man is, is starting to do. It could be the death of us all. And it's a nice little cliffhanger. What is this big master plan that Mark and Dinosaurus are going to do? Um, I know. Robert Kirkman does a really good job of writing. I always enjoy Kirkman's art. I think Invincible is kind of his, um, even though Walking Dead is probably his most popular title that he writes, I think he intentionally writes that series to be plotting and slow like a zombie to where you can skip 50 issues and jump right back in and it's like oh still running from zombies with invincible <laughs> he's able to do all sorts of things he's able to do all sorts of things and explore all sorts of different story arcs looking at the genre of superheroes and do interesting things with it and so I really like his writing on Invincible. Now, other people might say, you know, again, The Walking Dead is the greatest or one of his other uh, creator-owned projects is the greatest. But I really like Invincible. Um, I liked it so much that I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf for Invincible nice. 84. I thought you were going to say you bought the company. 
No, I liked it so much I bought Image Comics, yes. I don't have that much money. We don't have that many people donating each month. So that's invincible someday. for me. Yes, someday. Um, Matthew, what was your what was your slice rating on Villains for Hire? Did I say three and a half or three? I don't remember, but we'll give it three and a half slices of. of we'll call life. it three and a half. Someone will correct us. I'm sure. Anyway, Rodrigo, that brings it up to you. Hello. And the only reason why Rodrigo is going last, it's because he's reviewing a book that comes out this week. He is reviewing yes. Barack Obama. Barack Obama, number one, part of uh, Boom's um, Decision 2012 series, the first book of that series. Um, well, we'll start with the cover. It's got that, uh, you know, Barack Obama Hope poster kind of look to it. It's very yeah. cool. Then there's either an alternate an alternate cover in which he's doing like a superhero thing. Yeah. And it has an O in his chest, but it just looks like a giant target. Yeah, that's kind of bad. Um, which is kind of hilarious because, you know, he's the incumbent. So he's a giant target. So I don't think that's, they did that on purpose, but it's kind of hilarious sometimes the, the, the subtle uh, iconography that you find in these things. Because they're trying so hard to walk the middle of the line. Right. Uh, which brings me to the actual content of the book, Barack Obama, in which we walk the middle of, a, of the line with all his decisions. Um, there's no pretense of, um, of, of one side or the other as far as uh, what they talk about in this book. It's all very, um, you know, it's like, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. Um in fact, I find that in some places they probably give more information than they need to give so that it doesn't seem like they're spinning it one way or another. Um, there's a, and of course, there's like a constant um, uh, underneath each page or at the bottom of each page. Uh, there's a there's a little text box that tells you things like a caucus is a group or subgroup of Congress members, usually with shared interests. All three historical senators to be members of the Congressional Black Caucus have come from Illinois. A sponsor is the person who introduces a bill or amendment, while a co-sponsor adds his or her name in support of the sponsor's bill. All very informational, very important things, uh, until you get to the uh, section on them getting the White House pet, uh, in which they give you a whole treatise on Portuguese water dogs. Which I found interesting, but still not, not very uh, relevant. Um, let's see. Portuguese water dogs are originally from a, the Algarve region of Portugal, where they were trained to herd fish into nets and carry messages from ship to ship and ship to shore. Things like that. Um, uh, like I said, it's all very, uh, middle of the road and, and also very straightforward. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened, which makes it kind of boring. Informational, but boring. Sort of like your uh, public television there, maybe. Um, <laughs> the sort of thing, the sort of thing that you need to know, but you know, presented in a format that is at least trying to be interesting, but ultimately, since it's all facts, kind of boring. Um, can, I, can I ask you something, Rodrigo? Sure. Are all these facts like uh, Wikipedia type stuff? Stuff easily found. Um, it's. I, I wouldn't say that it's. If. All right, I mean, there's I, not. I might a... say that it's. 
I might say that it's easily found, but I wouldn't say that it's easily compiled. What I get from this book is that somebody who genuinely understands the series of events actually wrote it, or maybe a team of people brainstormed enough to say, well, you need to include this, and you need to include this, and you need to include this. Okay. You know, it's it's not all, like, just fact, 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 so much as, um, like, it's, it's kind of the highlights. Um, right. With a little bit of personal stuff. Like, they talk about his family. They talk about his half-sister. Um, and the reason why I don't think that it would all be found on Wikipedia is because they have reactions, like, his reactions to things. Mm, mm-hmm. um, which were which are all public and all on video, and you can go out and find them, but you can't necessarily find them all in one place. Okay. So, you know, this all could have been just research done online without an advisor or anything else. All this information is out there for people to find. But I do feel that this was at least compiled with some amount of care. This Um, feels very, I mean, as I look through it, there's like less than a dozen word balloons throughout the entire issue. Everything else. Oh, yes. It's all all narration. It it feels very, it feels very blue watery production-y. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I mean, it definitely gives off that that vibe. I mean, I think that it is a, a little bit more high quality than your average uh, blue watery production type book of this sort. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that in every panel, they at least tried very hard to get the faces right to the point where maybe they're trying too hard. There's a picture of uh, Barack Obama as a kid like hanging out with some other kids and it's like generic kid, generic kid, Barack Obama. Generic kid, generic kid. Yeah. Um. But you know, uh, it, I would, I would, I would place this a little bit higher than your average uh, Lindsay Lohan uh, anime blonde for some reason. Okay. Um. But not much higher. There's not really all that much to this book. I, you know, I have seen comments online that are worried about the turns that Boom is taking. For example. Getting in on Blue Waters, let's just give profiles of famous people books, uh, kind of a shtick. Um, along with this is, and I don't know if this is just something that we got as press or if it's actually part of the book. It has the cover gallery yeah. of the coming books, which is interesting because they're all done in the same style, which means that since it's a style that looks that was basically put together or, or, or codified for Barack Obama's uh, campaign, or rather by people around his campaign, um, he looks really good, and a lot of other people look really bad in this style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they just kind of took photorealistic stuff and added, like, the, the shadows. Mm-hmm. So, like, Ron Paul looks like uh, Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> and uh, Sarah Palin looks like... Uh, why not continue looks like anakin skywalker like her you can see her pupils and (laughs) they're red around black shadow or around like greenish teal shadow kind of stuff yeah Um, yeah, michelle bachman looks good in this um and then she's not looking at the camera and and you're right she's not looking at the camera (laughs) which is kind of hilarious i mean other people aren't you know but still uh and I do think that they probably tried to find flattering pictures of these people, except, of course, for Sarah Palin. 
Um, the other thing is that there are then the alter, the variant cover gallery, which has all of them like doing the Superman thing. And each of them has the letter, the first letter of their last name. Right. Um, which again, for Barack Obama, it looks like a target. Um, you know, for John Huntsman, it looks okay. Uh, uh, Herman Cain looks like it, like a big Captain Crunch C. Uh, Rick Perry looks kind of like he's just kind of like showing us like, hey, baby, you want to look at a little something here? And of course, it just looks <laughs> looks entirely wrong on the women. Yeah, It just does not look right on the women. It looks like they are flashing us because, you know, if the I think the only way that this could have worked is if they had given us a little flip book in which... On page one, they look, they're wearing a business suit. In page two, they're spinning around. And in page three, they're Wonder Woman, you know? Like, that's, I think that's the only way that this would have actually worked. Um, again, this book, in general, I will say is informative, dull, pretty decently drawn, and again, looks like at least some amount of effort was put together to compile this these facts into something that was readable and relevant. So I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this two slices of meatloaf. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's definitely not something that I would just, you know, if I was at a comic shop, I wouldn't just pick it up. You know, if you're a teacher and you want to give a crash course on what, again, just the, just the facts, ma'am stuff that Obama has done, this might be a good resource. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it, it'll be really relevant. I mean, and, and for that matter, the line, you know, I mean, is John Huntsman even still in the race? Well, some of them, I mean, even, um, uh, I mean, Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin you know, isn't, I mean, they don't right. even have, they don't even have one of, uh, of what's his face from Georgia. Um, what's his face from Georgia? Yeah. Oh, they, they don't New even have Gingrich. Mitt Romney. Yeah, they have a Mitt, Mitt Romney. He's right oh, next to Rick Perry. Oh yeah, there he is. There he is. But they don't. They don't have a Newt Gingrich. They don't have a lot of people in this. Right, right. So, but I again, think that was all because def- there were votes. There was a voting gimmick that Boom was right. doing for you to vote who do you think was going to be the the top contenders. And I see. yeah, yeah. Well, that mm. Anyway, all right. Two star rating for that. <laughs> Thank you for reviewing it, Rodrigo. It, it seemed very, tell like us I what said, you really think, Steve. it, it, I tell you exactly what I think. It reads like a blue water production book. It's got pictures that have been traced over. Uh, every picture that you see of Barack Obama is some white house press photo that they've released yeah, is, and traced over. That's exactly clearly. what it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you gave it two stars. Cause I certainly wouldn't have given it that much. Yeah, so. You know, I think there's something here. I think, that there is a place and a use for this book, but your pull list along with your second or third Batman or Green Lantern book is not going to be it. Yep. Yeah. I agree that comic comic books of this type have a particular place, but I'm not exactly sure if it's in a comic shop. I think, you know, when I was growing up, we had uh, the super comics where Lex Luthor took 40 cakes yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's bad. Those well, you were have the illustrated children how to read, but you know you if, had if you illustrated tried, uh, treasures or whatever it was the uh, the retelling of classic literature in comic book form. 
And it's kind of the classics same. Illustrated were problematic for a number of reasons. Yeah. Not the least of which is trying to figure out which freaking one you have. But I think that it, these these comics specifically, the Boom versions, I no, I can't necessarily speak to the Blue Water because I've never picked one up. The Boom Lucky. versions seem to be addressing, you know, grown-ups with political type minds who want to know these things and are don't have any problem with reading a comic. I don't necessarily know that that's a really huge market. I think that there are comics fans who want to read these and be informed, but I kind of have the feeling all of the highly political comic fans that I know aren't necessarily going to pick these up and, you know, learn something or be swayed by it. No, They're going to pick these no. up and find whatever they believe to be either, you know, op- oppressed or, the, know, the th- uh, Confirmed. The thing you mentioned a moment ago, Matthew, about these are probably not books that are targeted for the comic book shop. A lot mm-hmm. of people give Blue Water a lot of crap uh, for the quality of their books, but you know they they don't sell well in the direct market. Where they do sell well is at Walmart. You know, you're passing yep. by the magazine rack, and there's Justin Bieber biography in comic book form, or Madonna, or whatever, and they sell really, really well in the WalMarts and those kind of places. So maybe Boom is looking at a different different market for this but yeah, i don't know could be i don't in on know. that archie territory yeah Put comic books back in the grocery stores that's what i say will that work no we'll talk about it there's this a weekend. reason there's a reason why they're not in the comic in the grocery stores anymore so you know it's just a thing yeah All talk right. about it on the weekend we can Saturday. head over to majorspoilers.com and you can find out plenty of reviews including a retro review of pep comics back when archie used to pep actually comics. have heroes well they still do they're just on, on the entire webs now and it features what may be the first character death in comics there's <gasps> a hint it wasn't permanent it was at hangman amazing what a president <laughs> in 1941 the president was fdr if i'm not mistaken all right. Uh, we got uh, coming up here in just a minute when we do our phone listener call in. We've got somebody Ring. who's uh, calling in to give us a review of Arkham City and is saying, hey, you guys haven't uh, even mentioned Arkham City. Well, we've mentioned Arkham City plenty across the uh, sure we uh, the website. In fact, we've got a review coming up uh, probably tomorrow, Wednesday, when you're listening to this, depending on when you're listening. Hello, future people. Uh, we've got a review of that. In fact, this week's it's major spoiler. What? <laughs> you know my my favorite part it's time part, for the major the spoilers paul of the interruptions week, 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 week. <laughs> the bi-weekly weekly 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 because we forgot to have a show last week, 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 week. we didn't forget to have a show we just couldn't do a show it, it was a rough week man it was you know, it could have been just an hour of me sitting here and just uh, free associating We'll start with Charles Biro in 1941, and eventually I'm going to make it to the Beatles. We already do a show like that. It's our weekend show. Uh (laughs) I lost eight pounds in two days. Wow. Batman Arkham City. You can't swallow anything, Diet? It was coming out both ways. Let's just put it that way. Arkham Uh, City, you say? Arkham City. Ham is really not something you should eat after you've been sick. With the stomach. Arkham City, you say? Arkham City. It's the follow-up to uh, Batman Arkham Asylum. A lot of people love that game. 
Um, 4.6 million copies of Batman Arkham City were sold in the first week just on the console platform. And then we heard uh, this week, in fact, today, that uh, Batman Arkham City is heading for release on PC on November 23rd, 2011. So the big question this week that we asked our listeners was, did you buy the game and have you played it? Matthew Go, you're a big game fan. I figure this would be a game right up your alley. You like the pounding um, and the smashing and the crunching. Here's why. I will tell you why. And it's weird because I, I don't know why this would be. I tend to dislike adaptations, game, video game adaptations of comic books, even if I love them. The closest I came was at one point in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, I was fielding a team of Power Man, Iron Fist, Ghost Rider, and Phoenix. And I'm like, okay, this I can deal with. This is cool. But it got to the point where I was having such trouble trying to remember my four power sets and who did what and where that I just kind of walked away from it. I don't know that I've played any Batman video games except for the one that my kid had that teaches you to count. Where Batman, you have to jump from block to block and then you go one, two, three. And if Batman jumps on the six, then he dies. One, one block jump. Ah, 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 ah. What? Two, two freaky psychopaths with facial deformities. Ah, ha, ha. We love Arkham Asylum. But, but you like playing the uh, the wrestling combo move, multiple kick and slash punch and fight kind of what? kind of games. Would you even consider buying this game or renting this game to, uh, to check it out? I doubt that I would consider buying it. I might consider renting it if I could get it cheap enough. The thing about my wrestling games that you have to understand is my wrestling games are a long-term investment. Last year for Christmas, I got SmackDown vs. Raw 2010. I had not upgraded my console since 2006 solely because I had so much time and energy and and universe building into the creator wrestlers that I had on 2006. In the 2010 version, they upgraded the number of wrestler slots from 30 to 50. So now I have 50 guys that I've invested the better part of two and a half years of, you know, world building and universal st- stuff into so well here's the here's the interesting thing rob and i were talking the other day rob has uh, wrote the uh, arkham city review and i said rob uh, how come you didn't uh, how come you didn't write the review yet and he's like well it's because i finished the batman track and i've still got 80 percent of the game to finish it's it's so you know so many different characters and storylines that you can follow that even if you apparently finish the Batman line, you've got over fifty percent of the game still yet to play. So instead of being done in a week or a day, like some people seem to be on some of these games, you yeah. may have uh, you may have a long shelf life on this one. In fact, Maximus the problem says, is, well, "What's the problem? If you get to the end and you work with Dimitri and your cousin Roman dies, you still don't know what happens <laughs> if Kate died." Yep. I'll go back again. Maximus Riff yep. said, bought, enjoyed, and finished Arkham City. I recommend it to anyone, if only for the story. The ending will blow you away. I got that. Rodrigo, what about you? Batman You're a big wins, game, right? game kid. Yes, I do like video games. Um, I haven't I haven't picked it up. Um, I don't think it's even available for Wii, which is the, the console that I have. <laughs> Um, I don't. I don't think it is. I think it's Xbox 360, I don't think PlayStation. It's Xbox and, and PlayStation. Um, I wouldn't. I, I I wouldn't be adverse to playing it, but 
if you if you follow the uh, the major spoilers podcast, you may have noticed that there's kind of a, a trend with me in that a lot of the comics that I review are uh, from independent companies, and that's because the independent companies send us free comics to review. Um, a lot of the video games that I review, I can review the trial version of them. Um, I don't have a lot of money to spend on things. So when I buy a video game, I, it has to be like cheap as the dirt video game that I, oh, either cheap as dirt. You're, you're right. Either cheap as dirt or actually free or like one video game that I'm like, this is going to either give me hours of entertainment or five hours of amazing, mind blowing entertainment. The um, Wii version is set for 2012. Uh, well, I might, I might check that out. Then again, I might not because if there's another uh, Mario game coming out, I'll probably pick that one up. Ooh. A lot of people buying the game used already. Somebody said they found it just almost a same week of release for 41 bucks. And uh, Atomic Knight says it was <laughs> such a great game that after playing it, I would have gladly paid the full 50 bucks. <laughs> It reminds me of that Penny Arcade thing where they're like, how does that even happen? The guy buys the game, he gets in his car, and he looks in the rearview mirror, and there's a man behind him with a blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> Beating him on uh, the head, take the book, take it back, and now it's a, it's a used game. You know, I enjoy playing video games, but I just don't have time to play video games. I mean, back in the day before I started Major Spoilers and before any of the kids were born, I would say... Good night, wife. It's uh, 8.30. I'm going to go downstairs and sit in front of the console and play Halo. And what was the X-Men Legends? Was that? No. Uh, what was the one where you could... Uh, yeah, Legends. Was it? Where you going to go through all the different time periods of the X-Men? Man, I love that game. X-Men and I just Legends sit there for... Fall. I would just sit there and play f- from like 8 o'clock at night until 2 in the morning on those games and just love them. But I just don't have time. And quite frankly, a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the games have become so sophisticated, it's almost not like you need to wear a VR suit or have a Kinect or something so that you can actually act out these moves. I just can't go up, up, down, down, left, right, A, B, A, B anymore. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure Batman is all, it's all pressy, pressy, punchy, punchy. Um, it, is, it is a game that I think is, is open and has a big sandbox feel to it, so... Um, modern game design seems to be focused on kind of this expanding idea of there are people who are just going to ram through and play the game as quickly as possible. There are people who are going to take forever to explore every nook and cranny on of your world, and there better be something hidden mm-hmm. everywhere. Otherwise, those people will be very disappointed. Yeah. Um, people are going to want customization. You know, uh, when I reviewed the uh, Green Lantern game, I was really surprised at the fact that you could actually play that game all the way through and then go back and play it differently all the way through. Like if you mm-hmm. just pick different uh, green ring enhancements, you could actually right. play the game in a different way all the way through, yeah. which I thought that's, was was yeah. pretty cool. Now, that's kind of what I like did, about... Oh, sorry. That's kind of what I like about those MMORPGs like World of Warcraft, because you can right, right, do all right. these different classes and races, and you can do all these different story arcs and lines, and, you know, mm-hmm. five years later, ten years later, however long it's been, I'm still only like a level 60 or something, so. What were you going to say, Matthew? Did Mr. Is Mr. Freeze in this one? Probably. Is he voiced by Commander Kang from uh, Star Trek The Old Series? Because I might <laughs> rent it for that. I don't know who's doing uh, for the, the, the voice of the voice of Commander Kang. He's the guy who did it in the the, the uh, Bruce 
with the animated series from the 1990s. Oh, okay. All right. The guy who had that sonorous voice and his wife was in an ice cube. Yes. I was in an ice cube. <laughs> Why does that sounds remarkably like your <laughs> your Julia Child there for a second? <laughs> oh, oh my word! Somebody put my wife in an ice cube. <laughs> Let's see. I'm We've got. Bonjour, I'm Jack Pepin. Oh, I see your wife has been put into the ice bear. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this game has <laughs> this game has D Bradley Baker as uh, Rayshaw Ghoul D Bradley D Bradley Baker from Higley Town Heroes. It's, it's also uh, the guy who does the voice of Perry the Platypus and many of the uh, Star Wars clone troopers. In fact, all of the Star Wars clone troopers. Uh, Kimberly Brooks as Oracle. Kevin Conroy as Batman. Uh, Misty Lee as Fiona. Crispin Freeman as unknown. As uh, uh, Carlos Alas uh, Rocky, yeah. and he's from um, Reno Nine One One. Yep, it's got uh, Mark Hamill as the Joker. Uh, it's got uh, Tom Kane from uh, Castle, voice Talia. Uh, Tom Kane, who does the voice of Yoda on Star Wars: uh, The Clone Wars animated series, does the voice of Mayor Quincy Sharp. Uh, let, I'm looking. Mr. Freeze is Maurice Lamarche. Uh, oh yeah, Maurice. Yeah, he's Maurice Lamarche. Yeah, he's the brain. Uh, who else? A lot of lot of big names on this. Give this game. Tara Strong. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I like all these people just Peter listed McNichols as unknown. The, the Mad Hatter. Oh yeah, you know there are people around the office that are like, uh, "We need a civilian scream." Okay. <laughs> Good job, Corey. <laughs> All right, Matthew. Uh, you've heard from us. The Riddler. You've heard from us. Let's uh, see how the rest of the major spoilerite nation voted. Looking at the faithful spoilerites, trying not to look them in the eye, I see 294 people voted. Do you see more than that? I do, 300, but I'm going to bet that the numbers don't change at all. Oh, the numbers do change because 294 is different than 300. 44%. Voting, yes, I did play Batman. And a nearly equal number, 40% saying, no, I didn't play Batman. And 3% saying, I rented the game. And 13% saying, Rodriguez. Oops, there goes Matthew. Crap. Uh, there goes a punchline, too. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, yes, Am you're back. back. And your front and the left and right. And listeners, we control the volume. We control the trouble. We control the base. Clearly not. If we and when did, we come I'm back. Oh, no, I controlled the volume. I turned you down. <laughs> hey, Steve. You, see my middle you, finger? Let me turn it up for you. Steven, at this, point, at this point, has actual <laughs> software that is like, punchline imminent, must destroy comedy. Listeners, if you have played Batman or if you haven't, Head over to Majorspoilers.com, cast your vote this week, or go back into the archives and cast it later. Doesn't really matter. When we come back, we're going to be talking about <laughs> Valve Presents The Sacrifice and other Steam-powered stories. Stick around. Gentlemen, Shamba from Wilmington, Delaware. Calling this time to give you my 50% complete uh, review of Batman Arkham City. 
I mean, what could be said about this game that hasn't already been said, except for the fact that you guys haven't said anything? Uh, we could be talking about the best superhero game ever. I mean, everything that I expect in a good game is in this. I mean, a great story, fluid controls, my wife's desire to question the commitment of our relationship, it's all in there. I mean, this story starts out with tons of twists from the, from the start. You know, Hugo Strange knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman and locks him up as a political prisoner in Arkham City, the new uh, hub, if you will. Uh, Arkham Asylum, I guess, just wasn't big enough for all these crazies. And it makes sense, because this game is huge, filled with mad, mad roads of the Batman canon. Um, you know, he mentions that he's got this affirmative plan that kind of becomes a new hero of Gotham, and uh, Batman tries to stop it. He's going to out the identity. And uh, you throw in a dying Joker and a nasty case of blood poisoning, and Batman's got a pretty busy night ahead of him. The combat system in this game is, is nearly flawless. I mean, when you hit the timing just right, it's such a visceral, raw, satisfying feeling. I can only compare it to um, well-adult activities. And, and this is without mentioning that you can play as Catwoman, and, and tight leather awesomeness. I mean, let's go back to the city for a minute. We'll talk about how huge this place is. I mean, it, it's really interesting. It's it's vast, surprisingly, although it's confined. You you retrack a lot through the city, but it never really feels retreaded. It it actually becomes newer to you as as you go through, even though you're not really unlocking anything new. Um, so to speak, you're just finding new areas, little alleyways and things like that. And then you have these side missions that on their own could probably fill their own game. I mean, I spend days thinking about these riddles that are posed to me from the Riddler, and at night I try to solve them. Some of these things are so perplexing. I'd rather be a blind man asking for assistance with a Rubik's Cube from a homeless guy. Is this it? Nope. I mean, all in all, this game is five Twinkie Wiener sandwiches out of five. Right now, I, I got to go. I got to order my wife some flowers because I still got like 200 Riddler trophies to find. So until next time, let's make it major spoilers and wish me luck, gentlemen. Hello there. This is Slappy. And I just, I don't know, I'm listening to your uh, latest podcast, the one from... Uh, October, blah, blah, blah. I'm blanking on the name because I haven't finished my coffee yet this morning. But I'm listening to the reviews, and I just had to stop and call you gentlemen. Um, <laughs> my greatest adventure, number one, Rodrigo. Have you been hanging around with the uh, Super Future Friends a little bit too much? I am. Your descriptions, which are swell of this anthology, I, you would, if you were to do a podcast just with those very, very, very fine, lovely ladies, which might, which could be very fun, uh, you and two women, um, that would, that, that would be another interesting combination for you to play off of. You have the same, very similar descriptive styles, which is very much unlike the contrast of you, Stephen, and uh, Mr. Peterson. So, 
I, I do really enjoy it. I really enjoy how all of you guys work because none of you are the same, which means that the robot overlord is definitely not winning and we will defeat him one day. Oh, yes, we will. Hello there. This is Slappy again. And I would like to just bring up uh, with Rodrigo concerning last week's uh, podcast and the immortals and his take on mythology and how it is used. What you might be interested in looking into then is uh, we're going back uh, 20-odd years to the late 1980s in the new Teen Titans pages where they had a wonderful arc entitled Who is Wonder Girl? If you were after the crisis, no more Wonder Woman. So it's like, okay, who is Donna Troy? That was the first thing they had to figure out. Or rather, who is Donna Troy came before crisis, after crisis. Wonder Woman was taken out of the picture. So then they had to figure out who is Wonder Girl and whatever happened to her, or how did she even come about? And they bring heavily the Titans of Myth. So they rehash Kronos and what happened to the Titans. And then what happened afterwards with the Titans and what did they do? And their direct connection then to then Wonder Girl. So that, and I think it's a wonderful take, especially uh, as to how they brought everything about. And they did kind of stay a little, a little closer, I think, to the mythology than what you're saying here. But then there was a nice take on it. So I highly recommend it. I'm certain that Matthew might have the original issues that he could possibly lend you. And it was a wonderful uh, arc that unfortunately didn't go much farther because of all the crossoverness and all the pranostats, et cetera, yada, yada. All right, gentlemen, have a good day. Hi, guys. Just want to say great show. I've enjoyed listening to you for the past year or two. I really like the Critical Hit podcast also. But on your topic today, I'm something of a mythology buff, or used to be, and I seem to recall that the legend of Zeus was not that he was eaten by his father Kronos and burst from his head or stomach, but that he was not eaten, that his father Kronos ate all of Zeus's brothers and sisters to keep someone from rising up to supplant him. But when Zeus was born, his mother, getting sick of having all her babies eaten, substituted a rock, which Kronos then swallowed whole. And Zeus was raised in obscurity to be a hero and raise up and cast down his father. One of those neat little mythological tropes, as it were. And that when he did cast down his father, he split open his gold and out sprang the pantheon of his brothers and sisters, fully grown from inside his father's body. Those Greeks and Romans were weird people. Anyway, thanks for all your good work. Have a good time. See you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody who called in this week including Slappy, who called in twice. <laughs> I always imagine Slappy's voice as sounding like Judge Doom when he got on the him at the end of the movie. <laughs> it's weird to hear him talking like a person. <laughs> All right, we just finished up a discussion on uh, video games, Batman Arkham uh, City. Let's talk about some more video games. Art, in this yeah. case... We're talking about Valve Presents. This is from Dark Horse Comics. Valve Presents The Sacrifice and Other Steamed Powered Stories. Rodrigo, this was your pick. Can explain. I ask? Go ahead. You may explain ask. Explain the title. 
Sure. All right. Let's start with this. That's what I was just going to ask Rodrigo. Okay. I know. Here's, Valve here's presents. The, here's the title broken down. Valve is a video game company. What's it stand um, for? Doesn't stand for it anything. It stands for <laughs> making Valve. money. Making money by selling it, your video games. It, I, I do not think that it is an acronym. I'm pretty sure it's just called Valve. Valve has a service called Steam. Steam is something that allows you to download video games, and I'm pretty sure that all of their games that aren't on consoles, um, Steam is basically the kind of the engine for them as well, mm-hmm. or or their engine incorporates Steam into it. So you kind of you need Steam to run the games and blah blah blah. But basically, Steam is how you get them. Um, in fact, so their that website is what this is referring to. Their website is called steampowered.com. Right. So Valve, the company, uh, presents The Sacrifice, which is the name of the biggest story in the book, mm-hmm. um, and other steam-powered, steam being uh, the, 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 uh, the delivery mechanism, uh, stories, which is what this book is made of. And so we're looking at, in this book, three different video games, or extensions of stories from three different video games. We've got Left 4 Dead, uh-huh. Team Fortress, right. and Portal. Portal. Right. With the and sacrifice. Left 4 Dead is like 100 pages. Yeah, it is. It's the, it's the one that's the sacrifice. It is all about uh, the four characters. I, again, I, I don't think I've played any of these games. Everybody says Left 4 Dead will give me nightmares, mm-hmm. especially since I don't like mm-hmm. zombies. But it follows four characters from oh, yes. the Left 4 Dead universe gives them some backstory we learn a little bit more about each of the characters leading up to the moment that this uh, zombie apocalypse breaks out as they're trying to get to the safe zone in this case it ends up them trying to get uh, to a boat and get on an island Mm -hmm. does that work so well for the guys in the dawn of the dead remake well you know They they didn't they didn't see it yeah, and of course we don't know what happens when they get to the island. We just see that nice little sunset, so we can see Left for Dead Part Twenty Seven, Miami Heat, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yes. <laughs> of the three stories, I Miami will say Heat. Phoenix Suns. <laughs> well, if they moved out Winter to the desert, Phoenix. then yes, we could call it that. <laughs> Of the three stories, Left 4 Dead was by far my favorite. I do enjoy the zombie genre. And um, again, not knowing anything about the game, they tell you everything you need to know about the game. Who's played this game? Well, sort of. Have you played this, Rodrigo? I have not played this. Oh, man, Um, we're losing. I've seen it. I've seen it being played. And I understand how the game works. I've just never played it because I'm not a fan of shooters. Mm. So I was like, meh. Pass. The reason why it wasn't Left 4 Dead, but it was certainly one of the early uh, uh, first-person shooters, you know, with the light gun. Uh, my wife and I went on to our honeymoon. We got caught up in a video arcade in Vegas, and we ended up playing um, what's the video game where you you shoot that you've got the guns that you have to reload and you have to blow away all the zombies. House of the Dead. Yes, I think. House of the Dead. Yes, we just fell in love with that game when we came back. That was what caused us to buy the Xbox, the first Xbox that we had in the house. Nice. We could get the console edition. Um, you know, Matthew, I think it does kind of give you 
Yeah, I think it does kind of give you kind of everything, not everything, but I mean, it gives you the background on all the zombies, all the different zombie types that you would encounter in the game or most of them, the tanks, the witches, the exploders yeah. and the and the uh, tongue lashy smokers. smokers. Um, it gives smokers, you a, the tokers, the midnight tokers. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of background on each of the characters, Jill and Barry and whoever else. Old, old dude and uh, cocky prick. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's this big end of the world. Let's, let's power our way out of here and try to get to the boat. I think I, I want to say that if you understand the world and that you, you know, you've seen these characters or these creatures or the bits of the archetypes in action, it might've had a little bit more heft for me. It seemed like an awful lot of exposition mm. for what basically kind of turned into your standard, uh, Four against the zombie void kind of thing. I mean, right. I've read a lot of zombie stories and I've seen pretty much everything George Romero has ever made. So it, you know, it felt very familiar. It felt like if this were a video game and I were looking at 3D rendered, you know, polygon animation that was extrapolating on all these things that I've seen in, you know, Dawn of the Dead and the works of uh, Lucio Fulgi and all of these people. I think it would be one thing. And if I were reading this as a fan and an adaptation of that, this felt like kind of a synthesis of many elements kind of to appeal to people who already knew what the video game was. Right. I guess. Right. Yeah. And I can see that. And I mean, again, not knowing anything about the games, um, this is the one that you can get into the most because we do know so much about the zombie genre, even if it's been tweaked in this case. Uh-huh. And I think that's what makes it easily accessible. Rodrigo, what about you? Yeah, I think that um, really, I, I think Matthew's right in, in so far as it is just a lot of exposition and then just a very quick like, zombies. Mm-hmm. Then again, that's a lot of the time that is what zombie movies are, is that slow burn that leads to half the cast being eaten and then half the cast being eaten and then half the cast again being eaten. Um, so I can, I can get behind that. I, you know, knowing that it comes from a video game, I was honestly surprised about how much there is in here. Like I've read a lot of comics based on video games and usually they are crap. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just put a bunch of stuff from the game in front of you. And unless you've played the game, you have no basis for what's going on. And it's clear that they're just there for people who really love the game to spend some more money on that game. They were like, this actually felt like a story. Um, as far as the zombie elements, uh, there's really nothing new here. We have, in fact, seen a little bit of all this stuff um, in other places. Really, the only thing that gets, I think, thoroughly explored that we don't see in a lot of other things is the uh, idea that some people could be immune to the zombies. Right. Uh, because, and the reason for that contrivance is because this is a video game. You have to be able to take damage from zombies without automatically turning into a zombie. So that is why that exists in this world. And it's also a little um, bit of a twist, too, you- because the survivors are the ones that are helping to spread, or so they're told, helping to spread the zombie right. uh, the zombie plague. Right. Which, which is interesting as well. You know, it, it, it brings that, you know, half of your zombie movie is going to be survivors going, Oh, why is this happening? And, Oh, what hath man wrought? And things yeah. like that. So you have your moments like that. 
Uh, I like this story. I give this story a thumbs up. Matthew, what about I you? Like the, I like the climax. I And the, the end of it, I think, is kind of what sold it for me. You know, when you have these four characters who are pretty broadly drawn, because, again, a video game character is kind of a palette on which you, you know, you draw your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, Bill and Skippy and the girl and Lewis aren't necessarily, to me, people who are, you know, really going to be hard, deep inside their head like Adrian Veidt. But I, you know, I like the way this ended. I like that, you know, the very bittersweet kind of ending with the boat sailing off into the sunset. That was good for me. And I really enjoyed the art. And I think this is uh, Michael aiming, oming, omi aiming. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed the art as a fan of powers. It just, it was one of those things that, A, it's 100 pages long. And the first 45 pages of it are basically a primer of what I need to know about the world of left for dead when it, it could be something where it's just like, Hey, there are zombies go. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like that, that buildup was less tension and more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of a, and you know, a, a teaching moment. It was like, it, I was listening to, dump. yeah, I was listening to a, you know, a really long Jay Gillette lecture. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the meat of it and the part of it that I really enjoyed, and I was like, yes, this is fascinating, awesome new stuff, and then it's over. Yeah. Well, it looks like, from what I can tell, uh, that this basically follows the second half of the game, of the first Left for Dead game, uh, where they're in this abandoned military base trying to get to the boat, trying to get to Florida. So... That is Left for Dead, The Sacrifice. Then we get to Team Fortress, and I gotta tell you... Hated it. Yeah, what's with Cruella DeVille living in the terror drone? Where what? <laughs> yeah, Team Fortress is a game that is a lot we'll say has has a lot fewer dimensions than Left for Dead uh, in a lot of ways story-wise certainly. I mean, it is literally a game of basically capture the flag. Yeah, red versus except blue. You get to play different characters, yeah, that have different <laughs> that have different abilities, right? To the point where even in this book, they refer to the guys as the soldier and like demo man and stuff like that and the spy um and the sniper and things like that. Um yeah, this game or this story for me was was or this this group of stories was the weakest except for the fact that it has like individual moments of comedy that are really good but the through line is just very weak very tenuous well i think part of the problem is that the story keeps b- getting broken up with this other comic book series with uh what's his name hail chesty mcjack or jack or whatever his name is Yes. Saxton Hale. Saxton Hale. That's the part that I liked. Yeah. To me, that's the part that, that kept this from being just, uh, you know, one of those dun, da, da, here's the video game you love. Right. You know, guy, hairy chested Burt Reynoldsy guy jumping out of an airplane in short shorts. I have no idea what the hell it's all about, but it, you know, it's, it's got personality and it's funny. So I don't know what a Saxton Hale is, but I kind of enjoy his whole, you know, uber Sean Connery kind of vibe. You, you really need to read Matthew the foreword in the book if you haven't, 
it's written by Saxton yes. Hale, which I thought it's was written, very written funny. By Saxton, yeah. Which I thought was I also very love funny. Stamp. It's like this was signed by Saxton Hale. Yes. 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 Um, I really but I like. Uh, there's this. There's this thing where uh, they're trying to get into the the soldier's apartment, and somebody guy guy just rings the doorbell, and just like a hail of gunfire, and goes, "Who is it?" <laughs> and then it's like the guy walks out, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you come here so I can see you?" And then these arms pop out of the door, and goes, "Hata, next snap." Yeah, I mean, for <laughs> it, it is funny. Individual, yeah, a lot of individual momentary ridiculousness. It's actually right. really funny. I did enjoy the humor, but just the story just didn't interest me interest me at all. And the constant yeah, the interruptions with the Saxton Hale stuff is was annoying. Saxton I guess. Hale. Uh, which brings us to the yeah. final story, Portal. Right. Yeah. What? Yeah. And this okay. one, this one is very difficult to access if you didn't play through the original Portal, more so than Team Fortress, which really makes no real attempt at anything other than mm-hmm. being funny. Right. Um, this is the, you know, for all intents and purposes, the retconned story when they decided that they were going to put out Portal 2 uh, of what happens after Portal 1. Um, when you play through Portal 1, you find these etchings and these this writing and these drawings on the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the story of the guy who did that. I mean, you never hear in the game who did that, uh, but here you, you actually see him. And eventually it comes around to say that the reason why there is a portal to is kind of because of him. I I, th- I thought know? this was interesting. And again, not knowing where it was set inside the portal storylines, whether it was the lead up to the first one or in between the first and the second or whatever. Um, I found it interesting just because it's one of those that kind of explores somebody going insane and trying to keep their sanity and trying mm-hmm. to differentiate between what's real and what's not real. And so I like that aspect the- of it. The visual effects for his insanity were extremely yeah. useful as well. The they art is really, really good. well done. Yeah, the art is. But really I kind of didn't understand it, and you know the the bit with his his uh, bulky buddy box or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I'm it's just companion cube. Yeah, I'm kind of confused as to what that whole thing is about because again, I don't know what a companion cube is. All I right. literally all I know about Portal is the joke I made at the beginning of the show. That is it. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I read through this, and it was interesting, but it seemed to be a story that would be much more emotionally satisfying if I knew who the hot chick in the cryotube was. Right. She's the uh, hero of the both games, right? Yeah, she's a protagonist of both games. Never says yeah. a thing during the games. Doesn't really... It's, it's basically just for you to put your personality if you never shoot a portal into adjacent or, or two walls that are facing each other which you pretty much have to at some point but if you if you didn't you'd never know what she looks like like there are no mirror f- surfaces in in portal so the only way that you can ever see what the main character is is by shooting a portal and looking at yourself sort of as a, as a character that's really a shame because the the renditions of her face are just remarkable throughout mm-hmm. that whole section. Every image of does she have a name? Yeah, Chell. Chell. Every image of Chell's face is just 
weirdly angelic. I mean, it's it's, it's uh-huh. like a Caravaggio painting, and I'm just like, wow. That's because he's in love with her, really so he's a lot of issue. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's really hard to translate something like that, especially in comic book terms. And if you mm-hmm. look at the rest of the art, there's kind of that. This is not done by Owei Ming, is nope. it? No, I don't believe no. so. But the the main character, his character design is sort of in that Oming vibe. And then whenever he loses his mind and things are going, <laughs> things are in this weird Bill Senkovich world. And then they'll cut to her face and her face will just be this gorgeous, you know, softly rendered thing. Mm-hmm. The Just the transition between the art styles is fascinating enough. I actually, in this last bit, I, I looked at more than I read in the story. Because there was there was a lot of you know expositioning and talking about life support has been compromised. Whatever right. shall we do? But then you get you know you get these really wonderful sequences where you just sit there and stare at his hallucination, and then there'll be a close up of her you know lying there, and I'm just like, wow. I mean that's gorgeous work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because. Weirdly enough, if you look at the, at these three sets of stories, um, you end up with, it's, it's just interesting to analyze how these, each of these stories approaches the game that they are referencing, right? Left for Dead, you, it wouldn't, you wouldn't need to play the game to know what was going on at all. Like you, that could just be a story. They could never tell you that it was a video game and you'd be fine. Team Fortress would be confusing, but the Saxton Hale stuff all flows together more mm-hmm. or less. Um, this, you need the game as a reference, but stands as kind of like this weird bridge between both games. Um, but really needs the games, I would say. Um, there, you lose a lot out of not, not knowing, uh, what's going on. Yeah. It's just really difficult, especially because. Uh, Gladys, the, the, the super evil computer is such a prominent player in the game, such a prominent character that here you, you barely get a taste for how like truly evil she is. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where it's like, well, it just seems like a computer that's trying to kill everyone. Um, but again, there's a lot more to that. Um, and just, for a reference, the companion cubes don't actually talk like that, you know, and, and again, you're like, well, how crazy is he? Pretty crazy. He's actually talking to an inanimate object. Um, so you that, wouldn't know that. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't know that. that if you hadn't played the game because there are these cute and they, the companion cubes do look like that. They are kind of gray pink boxes with a little heart on them. So, you know, yeah, they are anthropomorphic in a sense, you know, they, they have that friendly look to them. So you could expect them to talk. I mean, the turrets that are trying to kill you talk. What do they say? So they, they go, who's there? Yeah, they talk like little kids. Pizza shark. I mean, and then if you like, if you sneak up behind them and you kick them over, which is the only way to, uh, to get rid of them, they go, ah, and they shoot. And then when they close down, they go, no hard feelings. <laughs> you know, like That's the doors and Hitchhiker's oh. Guide to the Galaxy. Have a nice day. It's a hilarious game. If you guys get a chance to play through the original Portal, I really strongly recommend it. Nine ninety nine, nine ninety nine right now on uh, Steam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For both Apple and Windows. Mac and Windows. I still don't know what's up with the cake. 
if you play through the game, you'll know what's up with the cake. I don't want to play through the game. And you'll never know what's up with the cake. Wiki. I will go to the TV Pedia. Tropes and I will look it up. You could just okay. go to Wikipedia we'll and probably find all the answers there, too. Valve presents the sacrifice and other steam-powered stories as a must-read for fans looking to further explore the games they love or comic readers interested in deep dipping their toes into new mythos. That's the uh, press copy from uh, Dark Horse Comics. So, Matthew, comic readers interested mm. in dipping their toes into the mythos. What'd you think? Good luck with that. All right. Um, there's... I will put it to you this way. This is what, 200 pages? Yep. There's about a hundred, I would say about a hundred pages of really good stuff going on here, about 50 pages of actual context. And the best parts of the story, or the best parts of the book for me, are the parts that were least explicable, and that's all the portal stuff. The first story is pretty serviceable, zombie stuff, not not badly done, well drawn, kind of in certain ways by the numbers, which is to be expected, considering, you know, the adaptation that it's coming from. Again, if you don't know something about these games, I would recommend that you find out about the games before you read this book or use this book as a stepping stone into the games. As just some guy who read it, I would say I have read much worse comics. It was certainly not an unpleasant experience, but it wasn't something that I would voluntarily seek out again. Yeah. Uh, Rodrigo, uh, must read for fans looking to further explore the games they love. Certainly. I think that um, in that sense, and, and this is what this book is, is if you like Team Fortress and think it's a hilarious game, there will be more hilarity. If you like Left 4 Dead and think that it's an oppressive, zombie-laden, apocalyptic tale, there's more of that here. And if you think that Portal is quirky and... Uh, highlights the insanity of of the inherent in the system then that is also here um i will also point out that um again if you play the games there's a lot more for you here references things like that there are uh, a series of panels or a series of pages uh that supposedly this guy drew of chell fighting glados those are actually in portal 2 oh cool like there are Places that you can get to that have those scribblings and base, which basically tell the tale of what happened in the first one. Um, so, you know, again, this is a nice little thing where if you're like, Oh man, I really played through that game too fast. I need to do it again. And you need more, uh, portal or, uh, left for dead. Then you can pick up this book and save that urge until you decide to work up the courage to play through Portal 2 with the director's commentary on, which I did. Excellent. Well, I, I think I'm in the camp that uh, kind of agrees with, with Matthew. I think uh, the Left 4 Dead story was my favorite, as I said. The other two were okay. Team Fortress, really, unless you know what's going on in the universe, it probably isn't going to make any sense to somebody who hasn't played the game. But if you like a zombie tale, eh, 100 zombie, 100 pages of zombies is a, is not a bad deal. Um, and you get a portal bonus a backup story as well. So I think it's certainly worth uh, maybe checking out of a library or borrowing from a friend if they picked it up. Uh, I think if you're probably a gamer, uh, like Rodrigo said, I think you probably get a lot out of it. So, all right. I think that wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry we were away for a week. 
Hopefully that didn't uh, cause you to break down and curl up in a ball and, and cry for hours on end. We try to keep those we know it did, to a minimum. Yes. Next Don't week, we're going to be taking a look at Mr. Murder is Dead. Why? Because he's dead. And because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we'll talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew to kick my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2011